Opening Arguments is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. So I hold myself in contempt if you try to pull me up here to court with that attorney. the questions here, carjacker Willie. Objection! I'm going to allow it. It characterizes the defendant as a carjacker. You didn't kill Thompson, but you did, Mr. Wells. Yes! Yes, I killed Ben Thompson! I killed him! Welcome to Opening Arguments, the podcast that pairs an inquisitive interviewer with a real-life lawyer. This podcast is sponsored by the Law Offices of P. Andrew Torres, LLC, for entertainment purposes, is not intended as legal advice, and does not form an attorney-client relationship. Don't take legal advice from a podcast. Hello and welcome to Opening Arguments. This is episode 279. I'm your host, Thomas Smith. That over there is Andrew Torres. How are you doing, Andrew? I am fantastic, Thomas. How are you? I'm good. I mean, we uh, we outran a lot of space pirates to be here today. Um, <laughs> it was it was a close call. You know, space space piracy uh, on the rise. Yeah, space pirates. That's that is seriously what good friend of the show Ted Cruz is talking about on the floor of the Senate. Like, I space hate pirates. to murder the premise of a bunch of sci-fi, but like. Piracy already, even normal piracy, it's not like a high margin business, you know, like it's not, you got to, it's a, it's a horrible business. So take that and combine it with extremely massive overhead costs. <laughs> and that's the recipe for success. All I know is it, here, uh, new business plan. Um, you know, this one is even worse than proven innocent candles. Launch something in the space. So, you know, a couple billion dollars to do that. And then... Steal other people's freeze-dried uh, ice cream out of their horrendous NASA <laughs> freeze-dried, like, garbage food. That's the, the step three profit. Sound, sound good, Andrew? Yeah, it's, right. it's exactly like the proven innocent cam- candles <laughs> business if each candle cost, like, $11 billion. Right? <laughs> yeah, and, and no one wanted oh. them, and it was just spending money. Um, all right, we've got some announcements here. True to our word, we uh, got that Lot Awful Movies number 29 out to you. Fine, fine patrons uh, a day or two ago. Middle of the month is the new schedule on that. And we did Sovereign Citizen Garbage Volume 2. Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> back due to overwhelming demand. So if you want to learn how your birth certificate can both be worth billions, but also is a lien on you, I don't It's several different <laughs> conflicting things. If you want to learn all that, head over to patreon.com slash law and... 
and pledge as little as two bucks a show. And uh, we also wanted to do something a little different regarding Lot Awful Movies, a little special. You know, for Lot Awful Movies 28, the one the last month, uh, we did the Alex Jones deposition. And it was so fascinating and educational. Um, I, I really enjoyed that. It, it was a lot of fun. You know, ask any of our, our current patrons who heard it. So what we're going to do is we're going to release that one to all patrons now. So if you want to, if, you know, if you've been on the fence or whatever, if you want to hop on at any patron level, we're going to actually release that Lot Awful Movies 28 to all patrons. Normally it's restricted to higher level patrons or at least the second level patrons. So we just give more people a chance to hear it because it was really good. Andrew did a fantastic job and it's not really what you'd think. You know, it's, um, you learned a lot of stuff. I learned a lot of stuff that uh, maybe wasn't necessarily what you would have thought if you had watched that deposition just on your own without some expert analysis. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, and I highly encourage you to go to patreon.com slash law and check out both those lot awful movies. They're fantastic. Uh, so how about you, Andrew? Any announcements? Yeah, I wanted to give a quick plug to uh, Alex Schaefer, a longstanding uh, friend of the show and research scientist. He is putting together some experiments on ranked choice voting. Um, mm. So ranked choice voting, the idea is you there, there are different ways of implementing it, but you essentially vote in rounds and eliminate the lowest ranked candidate and then reassign the votes to that candidate upwards, right? So it's a way of... Uh, preserving the the idea that you know if you if for example in a um, in a multipolar primary you know if you had five or six candidates on the left and one centrist candidate right under our existing model winner take all uh, you know that person the centrist candidate might get a plurality uh, you know say a 25 percent plurality beating all the lefty candidates but it's clear that the will of the electorate right would would be with one of the lefty candidates mm-hmm. so if you could rank and go yeah my top choice is elizabeth warren my second choice is you know kamala harris my third choice is bernie sanders whatever you know however you want to to rank it your your votes then get you know reassigned based on on the totals anyway that is a big project it's something that um one of my favorite guests that we've had on the show uh Lawrence Lessig. Um, this is another area that uh, in which he's been very active. Um, he uh, he uh, consulted with um, Maine when Maine passed its statute implementing ranked choice voting for precisely the reason that I just described. Right, like Maine elected a pro-Trump clown horn named Paul LePage um, with forty-eight percent of the vote because. Ugh. The right. Yeah, because everybody else was sort of split. It was like 48, 47 for the Democrat. And then, uh, you know, the the remainder five percent was split among various third parties. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We know Jill. uh, Jill Stein. Yeah. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Schmil Schmein. Right. Um, So. uh, So look for that in the OA Facebook community. And I think I think he told me he he has taken out clownhornvoting.com. So so I love that. Uh, Keep an eye out for that. uh, And uh, and good work, Alex. Yeah, it's interesting. I whenever we talk about this, I'm always you know, putting it in the frame of mind of like, oh, the presidential election or the way this and that. But like, 
we could do quick uh, audible Thomas S question. I mean, it wouldn't be that hard to change the how the Democratic primary works, at least I, on a state by state level, and have ranked choice voting for the Democratic primary, right? Because there's nothing, you know, that's ba- basically it's up to the party, right? There's no legal real requirements or or like constitutional requirements on it. There are no constitutional requirements. And in fact, uh, the the case law is very, very clear that even for federal elections, the U.S. government owes tremendous deference to the states mm. as to how they conduct those elections. Right. And and look. A lot of that has been used for bad stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's part of how when Ohio enacts incredibly restrictive rules to purge voters from the registration, like you know, in general, our courts have deferred to how states run elections. So there is no reason not to start using that uh, as uh, as offense rather than you know just have it strictly be in the realm of the side that wants to use rules to try and make it harder for people to vote and to limit the number of people who vote. So, yeah. um, so interesting stuff. And, and look, I don't mean to suggest RCV is perfect either, right? Like this is, we, we will do, it's on the whiteboard. We, we will, we'll do a show on it. Um, you know, maybe we'll get uh, professor Lessig back on. I would, I would love to have that and, uh, and kind of hit him with the toughest questions that, that I have for, for RCV, uh, um, uh, you know, I suspect he's going to be able to persuade me that the benefits outweigh the, uh, the costs, but, um, but anyway, so, uh, so it'll be neat. So, uh, so thanks Alex. Let's check out clownhornvoting.com apparently. Uh, all right. We've got a, just a steaming pile of a, uh, Trump episode to get to. So let's get to it. <laughs> It's time to yodel, and it's not going to be fun, I don't think. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. So you're not aware of any context during the course of the election? How many times do I have to answer this question? Can you just say Russia is a ruse. I know you have to get up and ask a question, so important. Russia is a ruse. Well, I'm not a crook. All right. Well, Trump pardoned. Um, now, I, I didn't get a chance to read too much into the story, so I can't wait for your breakdown, Andrew. But he he pardoned someone, a billionaire named Conrad Black, who I'm I'm going to guess was in prison for hunting human, the the most dangerous game. Is that if I had to guess, yeah. like he probably close. Uh, he is he's a uh, he's a rabid Trump supporter. Yeah. So, of Got course, that. he's in prison for fraud, embezzlement and obstruction oh, of justice. Yeah. Um, unrelated to Russia, I should say. But, you know, obstruction of justice, fraud and embezzlement seem to be uh, the the favorite crimes of. Yeah, that's uh, of the Trump, Trump signature cocktail of crimes. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah. We we have a couple drinks on the menu here. This is uh this is a uh a one third each of fraud, embezzlement, and obstruction of justice. We call it a Trump Negroni. But um no, look, uh there there are a couple of things that are that are worth pointing out here. And um and this really uh uh, piggybacks on the point you have been making loudly and longly uh, r- regarding the the double standard of uh, the press freakout over uh, Loretta Lynch meeting with Bill Clinton on the tarmac uh, versus you know the the uh, lack the comparable lack of outrage uh, when 
that behavior is uh, is is enacted or is engaged in uh, on a on a far worse degree on the right. Immediately, what came to mind when when Trump pardons black and 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 let's be clear here, Trump has pardoned black solely because Conrad Black has written a book called Donald J. Trump: A President Like No Other. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, When you go to Conrad Black's website, which I will not link in the show notes because, you know, screw that guy. He he has written over and over again in pieces that have gotten picked up by the National Review, which, you know, is a garbage dump of 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 a magazine. But uh, arguing that uh, Donald Trump is headed for a Nixon like landslide in 2020 uh, to be reelected. So hold on, uh, they voluntarily know. took on the Nixon comparison. Yeah, yeah, okay. right. I mean, that was the first thing that came to mind. He also says, yeah. you know, or Reagan esque, right? But not but no, since right? Stalin I mean, was reelected, right. will there be like what? Why are you <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so uh, okay, so he's a Trump bootlicker, uh, and it must be hard. Like one of, part of the sentencing of of criminal proceedings now is like. You're, you know, we've sentenced you for fraud, for embezzlement, for blah, blah, blah. And uh, your sentence will be, you're going to have to try to write a book about Trump because it's only, let's face it, it's the only way you're going to, so people who are not even authors are going to have to be like, crap, now I have to start, give me the typewriter. I'll start uh, writing a book about Trump. Just see, see if I can get pardoned. Yeah. And, and what I want to flag here is prior to Donald Trump taking office, the notion that you would use that a president would use his pardon powers for cronies and friends who had inarguably committed crimes was in a bipartisan way thought of as violating the 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 code of ethics of the presidency thought of as an abuse of the presidential pardon power and and, yeah. and i refer folks to the mark rich pardon right. controversy yeah. right on the last day there's a reason why bill clinton pardoned mark rich mark rich was uh a a tax cheat he owed i think it was on the order of 50 million dollars in unpaid taxes um and so he was convicted of 51 separate counts of tax fraud and on the last day in office bill clinton pardoned mark rich um we don't know why but we can suspect it had to do with the fact that the rich family had made substantial donations to the clinton library and to hillary clinton's senate campaign um it 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 smelled right and that was an example where it did look really really bad and democrats were like yeah it was bad and it's another reason to knee bill clinton right squarely in the groin if you see him (laughs) you know don't 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 take take assault advice from a podcast metaphorically yeah but metaphorically knee in i mean after you're done with like i don't know 25 alabama uh, state senators you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, right, right. Yeah. Start but, there but, first, but, but and then yes. once you've got a good, <laughs> once you've got a good range of motion going on your groin, knee, you know, thing, like if you're loosened up, you know, you're you're ready to go. Then then maybe you can you can tack on Clinton. So we should maintain outrage about this. Pardoning cronies who have committed crimes is an abuse of the presidential yes. pardon power. It's not an impeachable abuse, right? But uh, it's it's. It? 
Yeah, you, you know, I mean, so. anything is impeachable. But like, look, if if this were a Democratic president who did this in the middle of her term, uh, we would be on the show saying that this is an abuse of the pardon power. It wouldn't be something that I would be immediately behind impeaching that Democratic president over. Uh, it's standing alone. Uh, but um, but but it's it's gross. It's an abuse of office. It, it shouldn't be tolerated. Oh, and by the way, Conrad Black is also a gigantic racist, right? Would you oh, would you like to hear what he said about the Charlottesville, uh, the, the Unite the Right? I don't rally? think there's going to be a lot of listeners who are like, damn, lost that bet <laughs> in terms of him turning out to be a racist. Yeah. So here's what he said in an article entitled, Who Was Really at Fault in Charlottesville? <laughs> Quote, Almost everything about the Charlottesville riot was disgraceful, except the conduct of the president. The move to take down the statue of General Robert E. Lee was nonsense. Lee has few rivals as the greatest general in American history, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. Uh, he was less dedicated to the virtues of slavery than Thomas Jefferson. This terrible incident started out as a reasonable civic demonstration by Southern traditionalists who were not hostile to African-Americans, but objected to the shamed renunciation of a great American heroic and folkloric figure from Gone with the Wind. I, it... it, 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 it <laughs> Then it, it was says, a Scarlett O'Hara statue? Or? Yeah, right. right. Um, as the day unfolded, it was clear that orders had been given to the local police to ensure that a serious fracas occurred. It must be assumed that orders for insufficient law enforcement and ineffectual rules of engagement emanated ultimately from the governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, the ne plus ultra. I'm, I know I'm screwing up that French, but, you know, the, the without peer of Clintonian zeal and cynicism and former Democratic Party chairman. So there you have it. Uh, it was just good old Southern traditionalists at Charlottesville. And the real parties to blame were the Democrats for sending out secret orders to the police to make sure that a riot took place. Um, this guy just got a full pardon from Donald Trump for the crimes, again, of fraud, embezzlement and obstruction of justice. This should be a scandal. Don't. Don't let people just kind of whitewash over and be like, oh, well, you know, presidents pardon their friends all the time. A, presidents shouldn't have friends who are felons. And B, no, they don't. I love it, too, because the, oh, no, good people on both sides. That is totally wrong and inappropriate. There were good people on only one side, the racist side, those trying to keep the statue. <laughs> I love it. It's a different uh, take than I was expecting. Like, <laughs> yeah, not good yeah. people on both sides. Good people on one side. And no, 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 not that side. <laughs> the other, the other one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that <laughs> there you go. Conrad Black, free man. Uh, all right. Well, I can't wait for that to have no consequences and not matter. But uh, that's just that's just me. Opening arguments is brought to you by the Great Courses Plus. You know, sometimes we all need a break from this news cycle. Uh, don't stop listening to OA. You have to listen to OA. However, you might also want a break. And the Great Courses Plus is that perfect escape. And it's so empowering as well. With the streaming service, you can pick up a new hobby or build your knowledge on virtually any topic that you want to know more about. For example, great palaces of the ancient world and life lessons from the great books. 
There are thousands of fascinating courses and lectures to explore, all presented by award-winning experts, a team of Andrews, as I say. They've got an Andrew for every subject, and they are so passionate about everything they teach. And with the Great Courses Plus app, you can escape into this vast world of knowledge at any time. You watch or listen, whatever works best for you. You know, here's a good escape course. If I know my audience, I feel like this will be a hit. Here's a course I'm looking at, Cosmology, the History and Nature of Our Universe. It is absolutely full of information. 36 lectures to this course. Check it out. I mean, it would make a nice break from today's horrible news cycle. The cosmos is mind-blowing. It really is. And uh, just one of the many, many lectures you could find on the Great Courses Plus. Empower yourself with knowledge. Sign up for the Great Courses Plus today. Our listeners get an all-access trial for free. Start your free trial now. Sign up at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash OA. That's OA for opening arguments. Folks, this is worth it. It's a free trial. You can watch as much as you want for free right now at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash OA. I never said there was no collusion between the campaign or between people in the campaign. Yes, I have, have no idea. If, I have not. I said the you, President of the United States. There is not a single bit of evidence the President of the United States committed the only crime you could commit here conspired with the Russians to hack the DNC. And here we are. That's right. We're still yodeling. The the Mueller report, we don't live and die by just the Mueller report alone. Yodel Mountain is forever, and uh, uh, hopefully Trump won't be forever, but, you know, we're going to cover scandals and things that are in the news. And uh, Deutsche Bank, I think they, I'm I'm curious to hear about this, but uh, I believe they loaned Trump $11 billion that he promptly lost, or what's going on with Trump v. Deutsche Bank? Yeah, so, uh, and here, I want to steal the the title for this episode from our friends over at Mueller, she wrote, who refer refer to Deutsche Bank as Deutsche One Alone, (laughs) uh, which which I think is is spectacular. Um, The Mueller report is very, very clear on this, that Deutsche Bank became the lender of last resort to Donald Trump, uh, that there were internal debates over uh, the the incredible lax standards under which Deutsche Bank advanced Trump billions of dollars. And uh, and so as part of uh, the congressional oversight role, the House uh, committee on uh, Oversight served subpoenas on Deutsche Bank and on Capital One for financial records related to Donald Trump, Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, Melania Trump, and the Trump Organization because they used Deutsche Bank. That was and and Capital One, I guess, for their like. It's weird to think of you know because you're right. Like I have a. Capital One bank card, you know, (laughs) that was the first credit card I ever got. And it it had a limit of like twenty three dollars. I could. It was was absolutely useless. Capital One. Well, it's it's why I still have my Capital One card, because it's I've had it for so long that, you know, it's (laughs) It's made out of wood. Continued to increase the credit limit and stuff. And 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 they for a while their um, their savings bank had the highest. And by highest, I mean, it was like, hey, we're not sponsored by them yet. Uh, Yeah. Definitely not. (laughs) But anyway, um, it's weird to imagine like Ivanka pulling out an ATM card, right? Being like, oh, I need to get a couple 20s from the from the (laughs) bank. But uh, but I think that's I think that's how they used Capital One. Um, There's no there are no allegations that that Capital One advanced Trump uh, or his, you know, no talent kids uh, substantial sums of money. But but they got the subpoenas and and 
remember, right, part of the significance of this is what we've talked about. Like, I, I loved your introduction, but is the disaggregation of all of the various avenues by which to obtain the kind of information that we need to hold Trump accountable. And one of them is uh, serving a subpoena on a giant multinational corporation, which otherwise right informed donald trump that absent a court order it intended to comply with the subpoenas and turn over all of donald trump's financial information all of the responsive records uh to the congressional oversight committee and so uh donald trump as you might imagine ran to court and sued deutsche bank to get an injunction to block Deutsche Bank from having to release those records and comply with the subpoena. And that's what this lawsuit is about. Um, the Congress, uh, the the Congressional Committee uh, intervened, right, moved to intervene uh, in the litigation. And Deutsche Bank filed a statement uh, a couple of days ago on, on May 10th that said, hey, look, um, we take no position on this. Right. Leave, leave us out of it. We'll comply if you tell us to comply. We'll not comply if the court tells us not to comply. But this is really a dispute between Donald Trump and the House Oversight Committee. And it is. And the principal argument that Trump is making is an argument that uh, the subpoenas are our good friend ultravirus, mm. um, that they are beyond the power of the House to issue because they relate to efforts to ascertain criminal activity and not to any legitimate legislative mm. purpose. Now, so what's the cure a- for ultravirus? <laughs> I think our patrons will tell us this. Yeah. Um, uh, so before we get into right that question of whether this is really beyond the 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 the, the scope, um, I I want us to to take a little bit of a look at Michael McFall. Okay, Michael McFall was the was Barack Obama's ambassador to Russia. Um, he was a Stanford University professor. He's somebody who was widely recognized as and and here this is a conservative scholar uh, who called McFall, quote, the leading scholar of his generation, maybe the leading scholar, period, on post-communist Russia. So when he was made ambassador to Russia, um, he was confirmed unanimously. Uh, 98 to zero by the Senate. Um, And uh, he became the first ambassador to Russia uh, who came out of academia, right? Who was not a, a, a career diplomat, right? Usually that's who you put in, in that space. Um, McFall also advised, George W. Bush. Right. So, again, he's he's a Democrat. He was appointed by a Democratic president, uh, but not somebody. You know, he's not Bernie Sanders. <laughs> he is not a partisan Democrat, as far as I can tell. He's just an expert on Russia. Disturbingly, this is something it flew beneath our radar and it shouldn't have. July of last year, Russia announced that it wanted to question McFall in relation in relation to their investigations of 
the ongoing Russian efforts to file lawsuits against Bill Browder. Bill Browder, in turn, is the guy that the the um, he's a uh, he's a British economist um, and he is the person who is most responsible for bringing Sergei Magnitsky's uh, case to the United States. Um, and uh, he actively lobbied the United States to pass the Magnitsky Act. Mm. And um, so you can understand why Russia uh, is not too keen on Bill Browder. Uh, you can understand why uh, they, if they think McFall, who is very anti-Putin, uh, helped collaborate with Browder, uh, why they would want to interrogate him. And when Russia wants to question you, right, I mean, that's that's a pretty scary scenario. What makes this truly terrifying is that Putin made the request to Trump at the Helsinki summit in 2018. And as reported in the White House news conference two days later, right, again, again, this was that Helsinki summit, one of those for which there were no transcripts available for the uh, for the meeting conducted between Trump and Putin. Um, White House press secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders said that Trump described Putin's suggestion that they turn Michael McFaul, American citizen, over to the Russians as, quote, an interesting idea, end of quote, (sighs) and neither rejected it out of hand nor made a firm commitment. Several days later, the Senate voted 98 to zero uh, to adopt a resolution that states that no current or former diplomat or other government employee should be made available to the Russians for interrogation. Um, so it, it is it, it is astonishing. I mean, this this again, this goes back to we haven't heard from our, our friend that uh, submitted the challenge to us on on uh, the, the Russian platform uh, change. But uh, but if you want Another link in the chain of the massive amounts of evidence that the Trump administration is personally pro-Putin. The idea that you would entertain that, that somebody could sit in the room and be like, hey, we'd we'd like to, quote, interrogate this guy uh, for being a civic activist and that the president of the United States would call that. Eh, it's kind of interesting. I'll think about it. Um, that's appalling. That is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we don't I you know, we don't have time to get into it here, but I've, I've heard actually a few interviews with Bill Browder and podcasts about this and. You know, it might be one thing if it was like, okay, someone committed a crime in Russia and like fled to the U.S. And, you know, maybe that would be like one thing. But like this couldn't be more evil. You know, like Magnitsky was was literally beaten to death and ignored in with with all the kinds of medical conditions that led to his death. Uh, And he was just a a guy. like He was just an accountant who uh, who got caught up in. Uh, you know, I think it, it was some, something to do with Putin's power grabbing, you know, got caught up in uh, some, something to do with that, with Putin uh, seizing assets and stuff like that. And uh, the idea that, like, we would be anywhere on the other side of this than with Magnitsky and Browder as a country is uh, is sickening. It really is. Uh, it's just yeah. absolutely sickening. Yeah, a- absolutely. So McFall, not going to be turned over to the Russians, has been working with the House Intelligence Committee investigating Russian efforts into 
uh, interfering with uh, the U.S. elections. And I'm going to link his recent, this this was uh, March 29th of this year, 2019. I'm going to link his report in the show notes. Um, a lot of it are more details of things that you know, uh, right, which was Putin's overall goal was to undermine Hillary Clinton and strengthen Donald Trump. There, there were details, there are details in this that I didn't previously know, uh, but, but the interesting part for purposes of this lawsuit is um, in, in discussing how Putin spreads his influence around the world. McFall ticks off a list of uh, uh, six different concerted strategies, right? Some of them is the Internet Research Agency stuff, right? But here he talks about using Russian companies, and he says, in parallel with Putin's use of money, corruption, and property rights as instruments for governing inside Russia, the Russian government instructs its economic actors to make deals with foreign entities to establish increased leverage and influence within these countries, the use of these economic incentives and operations can be highly cooperative and coercive as laundering money, for example, can be lucrative for partnering entities in the West, but also blackmailing. Gazprom, for instance, does not seek to maximize profits for its shareholders. Its mission is instead to, to advance the Kremlin's foreign policy interests throughout the world, but especially in Europe. The construction of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline serves primarily to weaken Ukraine and less to achieve profit objectives, uh, profit maximization. Rosneft's investment in Venezuela also served Putin foreign policy objectives. Most, if not all, Russian state-owned enterprises function to varying degrees as instruments of Putin's foreign policy objectives. However, not all Russian private companies investing in trading abroad should be considered Kremlin agents. Untangling the difference is an important subject that demands further investigation from both the U.S. intelligence community and academia. Okay, so to me, that paragraph is really, really significant. Right. Number one, it, it points out a kind of economic coercion that is possible when you have these massive state owned companies um, that you can then direct them to engage in activity that is detrimental from a business standpoint but but advances your political strategic interests um and and especially the idea that you know you would launder money for entities in the west right <laughs> that you would you would essentially be stripping money out of the coffers of uh Gazprom and Rosneft in order to then have blackmail data on entities in the west Right. So mm. deliberately engaging in bad business deals in order to prop up uh, in, in order to gain leverage from a political standpoint. Um, the last part of that is what's relevant to this lawsuit, right? which is McFall telling the House, hey, look, um, we know Putin does this. We know he uses state run companies as political leverage. But look, that doesn't mean every country, every company in, in Russia is doing that, right? That doesn't mean that we should, you know, embargo all of Russia and refuse to do business with any Russian business, right? It means that we need to be smart about this. It means that we need to figure out exactly how these companies are exercising leverage over the United States. And that 
is the argument. There are others, but that is the principal argument that the House committee is arguing is the basis for issuing the subpoenas, right? So Trump has moved uh, for a preliminary injunction. We're going to talk about the legal standards on that in a minute, and I'm going to give you a, a pre-TTTBE quiz. Ooh. Uh, but, Pre-TTB. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Pre-TBTTB. Yes. But the gravamen of the argument is the ultravirus, right? There's, there is also an argument about uh, the um, Economic Records Act. And I, I think that the law is pretty clear that that doesn't apply to Congress. So I'm not going to talk about that in connection with this lawsuit. I've been through the cases and uh, and the, the statutory claim, I think, is is really it's not a good argument that it applies to Congress, that it only applies to executive agencies. Uh, but the argument with respect to executive agencies is, uh, look, Congress isn't really trying to investigate anything uh, in terms of passing legislation. Um, all they're trying to do is uncover Trump crimes, and that's not the job of the legislature. Um, I should point out that when you are reduced as the president's lawyers to having to argue um, the crimes that the president has committed are none of your business to the Congress in print, um, that that's that's a tough spot to be in, <laughs> right? Um, but but nevertheless, right? Like that that they are correct that if this. If the subpoenas are not in furtherance of any legitimate legislative purpose, then they are ultra-virus. Then they are beyond the powers of Congress to issue, uh, and Trump would be entitled to, to have them quashed. The good news is I don't think they have any hope of prevailing on this argument, um, and I don't think they have any hope because um, uh, because of two things, right? Because of, number one, the the McFall argument that I just made, right? Because Congress has said, and and as interveners, the the House committee said, look, um, we we don't deny that we are seeking information uh, about Donald Trump, uh, and in particular, the extent to which he may be compromised by Russia. Um, that is very relevant to us considering legislation as to how best to protect the United States of America from ongoing efforts to subvert our elections. Um, and that's point one. And point two is the case law is just abundantly clear over and over again that a court is not going to second guess a legislature for saying it has a legitimate legislative purpose. This passes the smell test, right? Mm. If if you want to argue that seeking Trump's tax returns, um, you know, is not going to be related to passing a new tax law, eh, you know, you can make that's a stronger argument, I think. But but the idea that you are seeking the business records of Deutsche Bank to the Trump org uh, in in order to ascertain whether Russia has financial leverage over the president in order to figure out how this works in order to pass legislation that protects the United States from future efforts by Russia to subvert our democracy. I cannot imagine any court in this country, including the Supreme Court, I would add, uh, saying that's not a legitimate legislative purpose. And and I think the Trump lawyers know this. I think they're expecting to lose on this. And 
and there's an interesting way that uh, that that you can divine this from the arguments that they make in their brief. And I'm going to set you up for it. We haven't discussed this, so I'm going to set you up for it because I think you're gonna I think you're gonna hit this out of the park. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> so, Thomas, this lawsuit seeks an injunction preventing Deutsche Bank from turning over the financial records in compliance with the subpoena to the House Oversight Committee. What's the standard for granting a preliminary injunction? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I always uh, I always get like one or two of these. <laughs> preliminary injunction, likelihood of success on the merit, uh, balance of like the harms, whether or not it's, you know, how, how detrimental it's going to be if you, if you let it uh, happen versus, you know, the weight of, of harm if you don't let it happen. And uh, I think there's one other one that I always forget. So that's yeah, my ir- irreparable harm. Irreparable harm. Yep. Was right. that not so the that one? is oh, okay. harm that can't. So you 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 got you got two out of the four. Oh, right. Four. Um, yeah. eh, it's okay. Likelihood of success on the merits. Uh, then balance of the equities favors the party moving for relief. Right. Which you got those two. Um, the moving party must show irreparable harm, and by irreparable harm, that is injury that cannot be compensated with money. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, and then uh, fourth is that the the injunction is in the public interest, right? And that's a super vague. And every one. injunction I've ever argued, you know, you put like kind of a paragraph at the end and both sides are like, it is in the public interest. It isn't in the public interest. And I have never seen the question of public interest be dispositive. In, yeah, um, they should just get in, rid of that that prong. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I agree uh, because I think that it's that that's borne out by you know the balance of the equities right like if something is yeah. in the public redundant interest, someone wanted yeah. a fourth item for some reason they're like well what can right. we think of yeah so but you got the important one right uh which is likelihood of success in the merit we've said this mm-hmm. on the show you know 30 or 40 times right that that's the that's the key you've got to show that you're going to win before the court will issue an injunction even if you have all of the other stuff as it turns out, this lawsuit uh, it was filed in the Southern District of New York, uh, which uh, is under the uh, purview of the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. And as it turns out, the Second Circuit has an alternative formulation. I did not know this Ooh. until I started researching. They have an alternative formulation for when they grant uh, injunctive relief. And I, I should add... The four prongs that that you described, that you mostly described, come from a Supreme Court case, right? They come from a case called Winter versus National Resources uh, Defense Council, Inc., 555 U.S. 7, 2008 case, right? Um, And so then the Second Circuit had to determine, okay, did this 2008 Supreme Court case, does that mean we have to change our alternate standards for granting injunctive relief. And they said, no, we don't think it does. Um, And that case, um, a case called Citigroup Global Markets, uh, which is a a, uh, 2010 case out of the Second Circuit. I'll also link that in the show notes. Uh, In the Citigroup case, they said, yeah, we think that despite winter, um, that the Supreme Court intended to allow us uh, to to use a more flexible standard. I'm going to tell you what that standard is in a minute. Um, but uh, and that and the Supreme Court denied cert 
in in that case, um, which does not mean that they approve of the reasoning, uh, but it does mean that as of right now, in the Second Circuit, in addition to showing a likelihood of success on the merits, you can show, quote, sufficiently serious questions going to the merits, make mm. them a fair ground for litigation, and a balance of hardships tipping decidedly towards the party requesting the preliminary relief. So what does that mean? That means if the if the balance of harms is really, really strongly in your favor in the Second Circuit, you can move for an injunction even if you can't show a substantial likelihood of success on the merits. Huh. Even if, as the Second Circuit points out, it may not be possible to judge whether you would win or not, right? It might be 50-50. It might be indeterminate. Um, as long as you can show a greater degree than usual of the 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 harms that would come to you if the injunction is not granted. Um the reason why, and this is really, really interesting, the reason why I think the Second Circuit is correct in saying that that's not, that doesn't run afoul of the standard formulation for injunctive relief is because, as, as we've also talked about on the show, all when you have those four factors, lots of cases interpreting them have basically said, look, you know, the stronger any one factor is, Right. The less of a showing is required for the other factors. Right. So if you have a really, really strong showing of irreparable harm, then, you know, it's less important for you to show that you are really, really likely to prevail on appeal and vice versa. Um, So so this is a way of, of preserving flexibility and saying, yeah, okay, maybe if maybe we can't show an overwhelming likelihood of success on the merits, but we can show a massive amount of harm and. We're st- we're not. At, it's not a total shot in the dark, right? There are serious questions that go to the merits that make them a fair ground for litigation, and that's the standard that Trump has argued for in this case. Now, the reason you start with that standard is because you know you cannot argue with a straight face in court that you are likely to succeed on the merits, and they don't. They say. We don't think we're not going to argue that we're likely to succeed on the merits. We're just saying it's a real question and our hardship is overwhelming. Why? Because once the economic records come out, those are private records. Uh, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And even if the House uh, Oversight Committee promises that they won't release those records, you know, you know, Congress, they leak like a sieve. That's that's actually what they've argued in print. Um I do not. And and by the way, briefing on this concluded yesterday, right? Concluded mm-hmm. Wednesday, March 15th. Um, so this is before uh, the Southern District of New York, the, the district court for the Southern District of New York. Um, I do not think the court will sit on this for very long. Uh, a ruling may come out by the time uh, this episode drops. Uh, and, and I think... Very, very. I, I'm willing to make a prediction. Teresa, go ahead, put it down in the in the OA wiki. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, the Southern District is going to deny the injunction. But the argument it it's it's interesting. Like I tell you, when you know Trump is in court with 
you know, with no leg to stand on here. Um, this was this was the papers here were well drafted, right? Mm. It was not the arguments are not frivolous. Um, I think they're wrong, and and it's why I went through all of the standards. And I think at the end of the day, the Southern District, uh, the District Court for the Southern District of New York, is going to say, yeah, yeah, um, we defer to Congress in its legislative findings that there is a valid legislative purpose here. And in any event, even if we didn't, um, there is substantial evidence cited in the papers that this has a legitimate legislative purpose. We're not going to argue that it doesn't. Uh, like I said, I think the the other claim here, the statutory claim, uh, Trump is just dead wrong. I don't. I don't even know why they why they raised that one, other than maybe they they misread the statute. Um, but uh, it, it's not it's not a crazy argument, um, and they've char- they've they've couched it in the best possible way um, to to garner a favorable verdict. I don't think they will. I think they're going to lose at the district court. I think they're going to lose at the second circuit. Um, and and I think I hate to predict any any negative Trump outcome at the Supreme <laughs> Court. Um, but but I think they would lose at the Supreme Court on this. I don't see how uh, those uh, the, how you're going to get a court to block a valid congressional subpoena uh, for. Uh, a legitimate legislative purpose. Well, especially because then they can't continue to try to get Hillary impeached. You know, right? I know they're, yeah. they're still I, it, it, they're it, still pursuing it, no, no. that. <laughs> they they are. I mean, you're being a little bit facetious here. No, but, but yeah, but I'm being serious. They like, they they yeah. will want to be able to launch BS investigation after BS investigation of President Elizabeth Warren in 2020. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that is what will be going through the minds of the conservative justices on the Supreme Court, right? Because, yeah, it, is is Brett Kavanaugh personally loyal to Donald Trump? Maybe, right? I, I, I don't know, right? I, I don't know what's going on in their heads. Um, I would be shocked, right, if Samuel Alito has any personal loyalty to Donald Trump. What Samuel Alito has is a commitment to a... Yeah, a conservative strong world dedication view. to making the world worse. Yes, that's exactly right. And <laughs> and and he's going to look at this and go, Donald Trump isn't going to be president forever. And you know, I want, I I do not want to have a situation where we have said that the that the Congress uh, cannot issue subpoenas. Uh, because because and and you can come to the court and get a judicial order blocking Congress from subpoenaing a party in connection with a congressional investigation. I, I, I cannot see that this court would want to do that um, for the reasons that you've said. So um, this is, you know, this is this is all sort of part of our continuing theme of uh, how you can use the conservative ideology uh, on the Supreme Court and in uh, a lot of the the federal judiciary, you know, to your advantage, and I think we're going to see that happen in in this case. All righty. Well, how long is this whole process going to take? I mean, this is another case where they're getting very good at, uh, you yeah, know, yes, we should see this the whatever such and such business records or whatever, 
but we can stall it long enough to where effectively maybe it won't matter. How? What, what are you expecting? Along those and, lines? and in fact, that is the argument, right? I've 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 praised uh, Consovoy's lawyering uh, in, in this document, but but they actually in the balance of the equities uh, uh, section, he, here's what Trump's lawyers have argued with a straight face. So they say. The serious question standard applies here, right? And just explain what that was, because the equities tip decidedly in plaintiff's favor. Denying a preliminary injunction would forever moot this case, foreclose plaintiff's right to judicial review, and destroy the confidentiality of their sensitive financial information. Granting a preliminary injunction, on the other hand, would at most delay the committee's receipt of plaintiff's information. Um, and 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 now you're sitting there thinking, wait, what? What do you mean it would delay the receipt of the information? And and what they mean by that is you enter the injunction now and then you litigate the merits of the case. And if the Congress is right, they're still going to oppose it, right? They're still arguing you don't get this at all. But if they're wrong on that, right, then on the merits, then the court could then would then release the information after that determination has been made. Right. So it, it it's. They're out in front at saying, yeah, basically, like, what we want to do is kick this down the road. Um, and and I think the Southern District is going to see through that, right? I think that it's part of why I'm pretty confident that uh, they are not going to issue the injunction. Um, Trump will then immediately appeal to the Second Circuit. I would assume that uh, the House Committee will, will move for an expedited briefing schedule. I think they'll get it. Uh, and I would expect the Southern Circuit to affirm and then it's in the hands of the Supreme Court. And then, you know, could the Supreme Court try and run out the clock? They could, right? They could. Uh, but um, but I don't see how uh, you get beyond, you know, a couple of months uh, before this question comes before the Supreme mm. Court. And I then can't see the Supreme Court, right? If, if, if this is, if you have a decision by the Second Circuit in the summer, um, the Supreme Court's going to have to take take it on cert and and then uh you'll have briefing in the fall and uh and you'll get a decision um in the beginning of 2020 and you know is that is that running out the clock sure but it's not running out the clock nearly as badly as waiting as saying oh no there's no harm in just having a full determination on the merits the court knows exactly what that harm is right which is time yeah and so I, I, I think we're going to move quickly on this. We'll see. Opening Arguments is brought to you by Joybird. Folks, can you believe it? Baby Arlo is almost a month old. And you know what that means? That means I've been sleeping on my wonderful, comfortable, amazing Joybird pullout couch for about a month. <laughs> that is the reality of parenting. The only way I have any chance at being uh, rested enough to record OA for you is to get some sleep on our awesome Joybird couch. I love it and I highly recommend Joybird. Joybird empowers you to create the furniture and space that brings you joy. With Joybird, you get one-of-a-kind furniture crafted to your unique taste. Turn your ideas into reality with hundreds of styles and options. Joybird offers a range of kid and pet friendly. I've got a lot of cats and now I have a couple kids, so that's important to me. Kid and pet friendly upholstery options so that your creations can stand the test of time. They've also got free personal design consultants to help nail down your perfect design. 
I've said it before, my favorite part, I can't even believe this is real, a 365-day home trial. You skip the furniture store and you bring the showroom to your house. You sit on it, sleep on it, break it in. If you don't love it, you return it for a full refund. It 365-day home trial. It's incredible. It's hassle-free home delivery as well. They'll even remove all the packing materials. In this day and age, my recycling bin is constantly full, so that is a big deal. They give you free returns within two weeks of delivery as well. See how Joybird can help you design your dream space. Find your joy today at joybird.com slash OA. Create the furniture that brings you joy today at joybird.com slash OA. One more time, go to joybird.com slash OA and receive an exclusive offer for 25% off your first order by using that code OA. All right, well, time for a listener question. He who questions training only trains himself at asking questions. What? Okay, Rob Bate asks, I think I hear you guys saying that Mueller's declination to prosecute on the conspiracy charges in part one of his report, well, I already would quibble with that wording, but okay, well, uh, means that he found not enough evidence of conspiracy with the Russians by anyone in Trump's campaign to charge conspiracy. It seems to me that if the investigation was obstructed, then it follows that investigation into conspiracy was necessarily incomplete. Do you feel the charges of collusion are a done deal as far as Mueller is concerned? Yeah, I've made this exact point. It's if you flush the drugs, uh, you know, before anyone gets a chance to find them, then it's not fair to say, well, there's never any drugs. Oh, that's so that part's solved. Now, was there obstruction? Well, no, because there wasn't, you know, there's no crime. So no obstruction. Um, yeah, that's the, certainly the point I've been making. But I do feel like the charges of collusion are pretty much a done deal because I don't know who else would possibly look into them. What do you think, Andrew? Yeah, I it, I agree 100% with everything that you've said, right? So the 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 short answer to Rob's question here is that Right, right. Mueller's work is still done. Right. As of now, everything has been handed off with respect to what Mueller can do. Uh, what he can do is testify before mm-hmm. the House Oversight Committee. Um, he's going to do that. Uh, there were initial reports that they had reached a date of today uh, by which uh, Mueller would testify. Um, obviously, that didn't happen or this show would have looked a little different today. Um, but uh, but the House is. They're, they're going to hear from, from Robert Mueller, and they are going to ask him the terminal question. It's, it, this is what Donald Trump is terrified of. It, it is the, the end game of everything that, that Bill Barr has tried to do, because uh, the, the, the House committee is going to say, uh, Mr. Mueller, it, you cite to the Office of Legal Counsel memorandum multiple times in your report uh, as to... Uh, what you believed was your inability to indict a sitting president. If the defendant were not Donald J. Trump, president of the United States, would you as a career prosecutor have recommended that that defendant be indicted? And I think it's very, very clear from reading the Mueller report that the answer to that is yes. I would Um, hope. And that I've thought about this very thing and I just sincerely hope that Mueller gives a good answer, but I just want to remind everybody that Ken Starr was a political hack bent on destroying the Clinton presidency and Robert Mueller is a Republican. So like, I just wish we could all keep that in mind 
as we think about, you know, comparing this investigation, different presidential investigations, somehow, you know, I, I don't know how, but we've all kind of absorbed that like, okay, this is what should be happening. We should have a Republican investigative Republican. And I guess we're cool with it because Mueller seems like a stand up guy, but like still that's going to have some effect. You know, if this were the Clinton years, it would be like, I, I don't know, having Pelosi investigate Trump or something, you know, like, it, or even <laughs> yeah. worse, I don't know, or even more to the left. So just keeping that in mind. Yep. And, and, and then I, I agree entirely with that. And, um, and the only other thing that I would add on Robert's question is declination decisions are not binding. Right. That is an exercise of prosecutorial discretion. If additional evidence surfaces, uh, then you can revisit that. Yeah, because that's didn't Um, we have a double jeopardy question about that at some point or something? Yep. Because, yeah, or it might have been a bar question. Yeah, that's very interesting. I didn't think about that. So they isn't there a Supreme Court case or something or it it eventually was decided that if you decline to prosecute, it's not uh, that that doesn't count toward double jeopardy because you never. We're actually uh, you were never in jeopardy. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly huh? right. Um, jeopardy attaches at the moment that uh, you have been charged. And so not being charged is just not being charged now. Right. Are there crimes for which the statute of limitations may run out? Sure. Uh, but but look that the way again, if you've got an Uncle Frank and you're trying to make this clear to them, um James Comey reached a declination decision on Hillary Clinton, right? Uncle Frank doesn't think that that's binding. Um, So if that's not binding, then neither is Bob Mueller's decision not to charge uh, Donald Trump. Um, So so keep that in mind. All right. Good question. Thanks for the uh, the question there. And as always, everybody's questions and emails are really, really good. Uh, we have such a great audience and intelligent audience. And now it is time to thank our patrons who I hope are enjoying the Lot Awful movies, uh, 29 and enjoyed 28. Uh, and we're going to thank our top patrons, our Hall of Famers, all-time greats over on patreon.com slash law. And we begin with increasing my knowledge law skill to pass the bard exam <laughs> okay dragonfly.eco books about nature and the environment reviews and interviews stuff and polls uh sherry autistic people aren't puzzles stop with the puzzle pieces darth mandy pants john richards well-deserved patron number 239 donald j trump presidential library at rikers i'm an umbrewing barprepbuddy.com coming soon Adam Costa, 13th century gravel truck lawyer. Karnak now retires, having a perfect record at predicting the TTBO. Yeah, that's the one that just happened to get it right last time. Seidel is my favorite, Andrew. Torres is a close second. J. Alden Walt, Jennifer Cratch. Never was there ever a cat so clever as Barbara LaWall. The cure for ultravirus. There it is. Cut maps. We are going to build a Death Star and make Alderaan pay for it. Outside context problem. Two Finger Joe's parole officer and arm wrestling coach. Stephen Baltic... <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Baltic Katai Sandoval. Impeach Bill Barr. The Mueller files. I want to believe the truth is redacted. <laughs> Guerrilla skepticism on Wikipedia is recruiting at gsowteam.org. Detective Pikachu. Investigating obstruction for you. <laughs> Four score and seven screeching howler monkeys ago. Yep. Yeah. John Bilderback, 
Hi, I'm Deckard Kane. You may remember me from such games as Diablo. That's a random one, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm a Diablo 2 fan. A little bit of Diablo 3, but it wasn't as fun. CivilPoliticsRadio.com, Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern on Valley Free Radio. Registry Matters, the Registry Matters podcast. We should talk about the elephant in the womb. Oh, yeah, we will be talking about the elephant in the womb on Tuesday's show. Incorrectly pronouncing Latin to avoid the accidental summoning of demons. Yes, honey buns. W. Oh, all right, someone's having a having a laugh at my expense. W. Sorry, I got nothing. Is that a big new Brzezinski reference? Or I don't think so. I can I can see I can parse through enough of these letters to say I don't think it's that, but I am not positive. Datahack.com, business automation, making the menial automatic. HOTUS and the Taint Team, 2020. Eric Alsman, Thomas Smith is my favorite attorney. Andrew's a close second. Michael C. Sampson, Payne Strumpet. <laughs> McCabe's book is my current favorite. Comey's is a close second. Kiwa Valley Export for Australian red meat and craft beer. Michael Cohen is a no-talent ass clown. Let me be totally clear, I like being totally clear. Getting Off Podcast, Chris Rowden, Milo Meadsong, The Halfling Bard, and SIU Law Grad. Whoa! Congratulations! Wow. Way to go, Milo. Yeah, yeah. Congrats. Redacted, karaoke legend Cosmo Redacted Blues. (laughs) Redacted, redacted. Sam Buck, Redaction Blackout should now be called Bill Bars. Yes, Mike the Intactivist. And uh, hey, folks, update your shout-outs. Come on. We're a little... uh, like we're maybe being a little lax it's summer's coming so people you know they're they're getting loose in their uh, uh patreon shout out updates but you know stick to it all right your turn andrew all right and thank you to join your labor union together we bargain alone we beg town of greece v matthew chapter six verses five through ten uh go look that one up i think that's the uh <laughs> don't pray out in public thing uh maker of things yeah. out of other things Let's have Andrew read the second half of the names for a change. Well, you got what you wish for. James, Andrew's epitaph will link all his sources in the stone notes. Yeah, unless (laughs) something happens to the stone uh, technology that screws him up. Sorry about that. Uh, Eating my soul food in small bites. David in Brooklyn. Devin Nunes as the arch nemesis of the Taint Team is canon now, right? Anonymous. Buttercup subpoena writing services. 831. Catlaw 1. Incoming transmission from Junior Missions Operator Manager Nermit Bundeloy. <laughs> the best part of waking up is impeachment in your cup. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> How would Thomas pronounce Chalmondele Featherstonhaw? Well, I'm yeah, we can't win because like that one's for me, but the other one was like, oh, Andrew should read the second half. Eh, sorry, we just there's no way to win. We we do what we do. <laughs> GSV Unfortunate Conflict of Evidence. WordOrigins.org, your source for legal terms from 13th century Saxony. Chugga, 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 Batman. Yeah, the, the three chuggas. Is, uh, I'm, I'm with you. It's got to be an even. What? Oh, you're with me. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. you were saying you were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to talk about Bill Barr's Sharpie huffing addiction. Derek, George, Michael, Jackson, Brown, Mark, Clayton, Richard, Simmons, Mattresses. <laughs> A pack of howler monkeys who have now been slandered on GAM 2. Nice. Barack Obama wrote about changeofview.com on Facebook. Well, I would I would be excited if Barack Obama wrote about OA on Facebook. So uh, uh, good job, Liz. Uh, overturned Citizens United to unseat Conrad Michaels. Big easy blasphemy. An anagram of unpronounceable characters is also unpronounceable. <laughs> Brandon Smith. 
Andrew Seidel is my favorite Andrew. Conrad Michaels is a close second. <laughs> Spoiler deleted is my favorite Dead Avenger. Spoiler deleted is a close second. Um, I have now actually seen uh, Ad- oh. Avengers Endgame, so uh, I guess we could we could ruin it for everyone and talk yeah. about our. Uh, we'll do an in depth uh, law uh, review of it. Yeah. Well, you know, we actually could do a lot awful movies of uh, what Civil War, right? The Sokovia Accords. Oh. Uh, anyway. Good idea. Uh, Rhonda Apple. Howler Monkeys doing shots at the Lukumi Bar. Malika Chandler. Abacus Flinch. Volunteer with Camp Quest this summer. CampQuest.org. Soggy Pants. Sam Denau. Greg Sullivan. Michael Patrick Porkins. Taffy Lee Fubins. And Bart Harley Jarvis. All right. Fish Officers in Spice. In Spice. (laughs) Zabby, Matthew Vernon, Adopt a Homeless Pet and Oppose Declawing and Ear Docking, Aaron Grady, Heather L., Jeremiah's Fancy Microwave Emporium, Sakashite, F, 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 Chris Waddle. I have no idea. No idea. But we read it. Ian and Allie. Yeah, wow. Rest that assured, is... it's like a brilliant reference to some British politics thing that we never get. But it's, but, but, you know, we don't get it. But I'm sure it's great. I I am thrilled. I don't know who Yarrow is, but uh, to have to have gotten in with a uh, with a reference from uh, uh, from last night's. Uh, I'll give you uh, one guess at who would be so prompt and brilliant in their name changing. Uh, <laughs> I think we Andrew know. takes the patron exam. Go. Who yeah, is it? Yeah, that's got to be Teresa. Gomez, hey, you right? nailed it. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> uh, I should have known. Neil Gorsuch is a clown horning monster. Eli Bosnick. Mitchell, Aaron is pro-cloning so he can cannibalize himself. <laughs> Have some found guilt tea with your proof and innocent candle. <laughs> oh, nice. I <laughs> mean, you anagram. need both of them, right? Yeah, you kind of, they're yeah. complimentary. Yeah, yeah. I, I like sipping tea while uh, enjoying the beautiful <laughs> scent of a candle. <laughs> An anagram of Lindsey Graham is angrily shamed. Yeah, I sure hope so. And... Our all-time great, our number one, he who shall never be overthrown, but keep trying, Conrad Michaels. All right. Thank you, fine, 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 fine patrons. And uh, now it is time for a little TTTBE. And since Andrew aced the patron exam, I I feel feeling extra pressure now. Although uh, I feel like your question was a little bit easier than whatever this is going to be. Yeah, yeah, there's really (laughs) only one answer. Oh, no associate of this firm has ever failed the bar exam. No kidding. All right, Thomas, we have a uh, criminal law question. I think I think these tend to be fun. So in a criminal trial, the evidence has shown that the defendant's neighbor entered the defendant's house with a knife and hmm. told the defendant that she was going to kill him. Oh, nice uh, gender uh, equality here. Yeah. Equal opportunity stabbings. Equal opportunity stabbings. The defendant ran to his bedroom, picked up a gun and told the neighbor to back off. The neighbor did not stop and stabbed the defendant in the arm. The defendant then shot the neighbor twice. The neighbor fell to the floor and lay quietly moaning. After a few seconds, the defendant fired a third shot into the neighbor. The case has gone to the jury, which has thus far found that the neighbor died instantly from the third shot, and the defendant was no longer in fear of being attacked by her when he Mm. fired the third shot. Of which of the following degrees of criminal homicide, if any, can the jury properly convict the defendant? Hmm. A, attempted murder only. B, manslaughter only. 
C, murder or manslaughter, or D, no degree of criminal homicide? Wow, this is an interesting one. Um, I like it. Okay, well, I would think that uh, I can eliminate A pretty easily. Attempted murder only. I mean, you you done murdered him, so uh, <laughs> or her, I guess. So I I would hope that that's not it. Uh, so it's look. This is interesting. It sounds like the question is. You know, is there any, obviously the person was not in any danger anymore. And so it's like a self-defense manslaughter kind of thingy is, it seems like that would be not what it is, but it's, it's saying which can the jury properly convict the defendant. Oh, so that's going to be tough to know. Like what, what is proper there? Who decides what's, what's proper? Um, no degree of criminal homicide. I mean, that's a possibility. So hold on, I'll go through them. So I'm eliminating A, attempted murder only. That doesn't seem right. B, manslaughter only. I'm not sure about that. C, murder or manslaughter. Uh, and D, no degree of criminal homicide. So, okay. So, I mean, it makes it a little easier because murder isn't one of them. Like only murder isn't an option. So it's, I'm, I'm really leaning towards C, murder or manslaughter. It seems like that's going to be, that's going to be what the jury's going to be deciding, uh, whether or not that this, this was the fact that maybe you're still kind of in fear, but hey, let's see, thus far found that the neighbor died instantly from the third shot and that the defendant was no longer in fear of being attacked. The following degrees of criminal homicide, if any, criminal homicide, man's murder. Murder. Now, is the problem that murder has to be premeditated at a certain or isn't there a certain? And now I'm forgetting my degrees of murder. Could this be murder? I feel like if yeah, I mean, I I really feel like it's C. I don't know. I, I think that you know when you've incapacitated someone and then you wait a few seconds and then you decide mm, gonna murder them. I feel like there's that's pretty murdery, so I'm going to go with C. Uh, I mean, maybe there's going to be something weird you're going to tell me. It's actually D for some reason or B, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty solidly not A. I'm going to go with C. I can't, it's hard to eliminate it down to two because I can't really think of a logical reason. Maybe I'll eliminate uh, D. Go between B and C, and I'll go with C. All right, and if you'd like to play along with Thomas, you know how to do that. Just share out this episode on social media. Include the hashtag TTTB. Include your guess and your reasons. Therefore, we will pick a winner and shower that winner with never-ending fame and fortune. Fame and fortune not guaranteed. All right, thanks for listening. Thanks so much, patrons. Enjoy Lot Awful Movies. Uh, and uh, all patrons enjoy Lot Awful Movies. Alex Jones' deposition, which was phenomenal. So uh, have fun. And we'll see you for a very depressing uh, abortion law-related episode on Tuesday. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is sorry, not going to be very... an, an upbeat one. No, no. But I, so, sorry. Back to positivity. Lot of movies. Okay, there we go. We ended on a positive note. You betray the law! This has been Opening Arguments with Andrew and Thomas. If you love the show and want to support future episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash law. If you can't support us financially, it'd be a big help if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast delivery vehicle you use. And be sure to tell all your friends about us. 
for questions, suggestions, and complaints, email us at openarguments at gmail.com. The show notes and links are on our website at www.openargs.com. Be sure to like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OpenArgs. Until next time. is a production of Opening Arguments Media, LLC. All rights reserved. Opening Arguments is produced with the assistance of our editor, Brian Ziegenhagen, our production assistant, Ashley Smith, and our researcher, Deborah Smith. Special thanks to Teresa Gomez and the entire OA Wiki team. Follow them at, at OA Wiki. And a big thank you to our Facebook group moderators, Alicia Cook, Natalie Newell, Emily Waters, Eric Brewer, and Brian. Check out the Opening Arguments Facebook community. And finally, thanks to Thomas Smith for creating the show's theme song, which is used with permission.